It is just the beginning for climate strikes around the world. And professors face racism and sexism in student evaluations. Go Earth, what Columbia looks like! This is what Columbia looks like! Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines. This is the voice of Isabella Johnson from Friday, September 20th's climate strike here in Chicago. Around 150 countries participated in the strike, and another strike is planned for September 27th. I wish we did not have to strike. I wish we could be learning in a classroom right now instead of worrying if we will even have a future. But unfortunately, we do have to strike, and we will strike, and we will lobby, and we will rally and protest until our politicians take us seriously. Calls for political action to reverse climate change were inspired by a Swedish 16-year-old climate activist named Greta Thunberg, who began her protest in August 2018. She sailed to New York on a zero-emission sailboat, and she is currently in Washington, D.C., where she has addressed the U.S. Congress and participated in strikes outside the White House. This has sparked people around the world to strike for change, including Kirsten Jovita Bilkey, who said, This is just the beginning and we need to be constantly involved in this. To hear Isabella Johnson's entire speech, you can visit our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com. To help us get a better feel for what Friday's strike was like here in Chicago, I have with me Camila Forte to talk about what she saw. Hey, Camila, thanks for coming in today. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's start off with, you know, what did you see at this um, strike? You know, I saw a bunch of students marching, um, all different ages. It really struck me how many really young kids there were um, with their parents, with their classes. That was really interesting to see. Yes. How old do you think these children were? Like, what was the youngest age that you saw? I mean, I think some of them were as young as four, three years old. And I've been through some protests myself, and I've covered uh, various events, and I've never seen kids that young, um, which was interesting, definitely, for sure. Why was it interesting to you? Um, Because, you know, with... Things like this, safety can often be a concern, and you don't see as young of people usually involved in political issues and things like that. So it was striking to see how many really young children were aware themselves of what was happening and were really upset and involved in getting things changed. So would you say that a huge... um majority of people at the strike were younger people yeah um that's actually something that we talked a little bit about with mike uh with photos because you often don't want to include minors in your photos uh so something we had to decide was if we were going to name them um who we were going to include and how we were going to make those decisions and what decision did you ultimately make i mean we ultimately came to the conclusion that since it was a youth-led strike, they were all going to be minors, uh, and we weren't going to identify them by name. 
uh, but we were going to include them in photos because they were the ones leading the movement. Yeah, so let's talk about these photos because they look amazing. Um, Tell me a little bit about some of the photos that you took. I did see Steven's photos as well. He unfortunately couldn't be here with us today. But tell us about your photos. I mean, with my photos, I really tried to focus in on the expressions of people because it's it was striking, again, to see how passionate a lot of these uh, young kids were. Um, uh, one of the photographs that was included in the paper and in the online edition is this photo of um, the Sunrise Movement leaders screaming into their megaphones. And to be there to hear them and to see how like strong they were um, in their resolve to lead this movement forward, be as safe as possible, um, and have their voices heard was really impressive. So I, I tried to focus in on that like visible determination when I was taking my photos. Now, for this strike, because there were so many people there, how many photos do you think you took, and how did you narrow down which amazing shot you got? Um, well, thank you, first of all. Uh, also, it would, I took so many photos. Uh, at one point, Stephen actually went uh, ahead of me, and he went back to the newsroom, and I just handed him my SD card because I had so many photos that, because we were on such a tight deadline, because um, the strike was on Friday, and that's our production day, um, I was like, just start uploading them to the server, and I'll come back with a second SD card and uh, get those in. So I think I took like close to a thousand photos wow. and sorting through them was just a matter of, you know, protest photos can be challenging. So which ones, again, really focused in on like the expression of determination, which ones were the most representative of who was there and how they were acting and obviously which ones were composed the best was uh, the essentially the factors that determined what photos were. Now, how many how many did you end up choosing? I ended up choosing about 30, um, and then Mike, our photo editor, um, sorted through those and picked the ones that he thought were strongest for print and for online. Yeah, so since you were there, can you tell us a little bit about what the atmosphere was like? The atmosphere was actually really positive. You know, um, with things like this, you often expect there to be a big counter protests, but there wasn't really, and I think that has something to do with the fact that these were young kids, and a big emphasis went into uh, making sure they were safe. I know people from Indivisible Chicago, who is um, a Democratic activist group, were there um, as, like, guards making sure nobody, like, fell or got trampled, so it was really supportive and kind, and they were there was a great camaraderie among all of uh, the people leading it, especially with the younger kids. Yeah, so what was a big difference between covering this protest and maybe some other ones that you've covered before? Um, I think it was honestly the age of the people leading it, because I've been to youth protests before. Um, I was at the March for Our Lives in D.C. a few years ago, and those were youth-led protests, but they were always organized by um, older groups of people, or at least um, older people were there leading the protests. Uh, but here in Chicago, um, the people at the forefront of the line um, walking were young children, like high schoolers, uh, were there in front holding banners, and the adults were really just there as supporters of what they were saying. What do you think that means? 
I think that speaks to who feels like they're being impacted by this. Uh, something that you saw over and over again was, this is our future, you know, like, we're the people who are still going to be alive when all of these changes are happening. Um, so we're the people that have to kind of step up and speak out for our future because otherwise people who aren't going to be alive uh, when the world starts changing drastically uh, aren't going to prioritize it because they're not affected by it. Right. Well, thank you so much, Camila, for coming in. We really do appreciate your time. Thank you. Camila was not the only member of the Chronicle to attend the strike, but also was Ignacio Canderon. Ignacio did some multimedia work, which is actually available on our website. But to help us better understand what he saw and what he was able to catch, he's here in studio with us today. So thanks for coming in, Ignacio. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um... Yeah, so why don't we start with... Friday, you know, what happened on Friday? So on Friday, the 20th, it was the youth climate strike. Um, there are more than 150 countries participating in the strike. And um, this was inspired by Greta Thunberg, the young activist. And here in Chicago, uh, the strike began on Grand Park. And they walked over to Federal Plaza where some activists gave some speeches. Among them, it was um, Isabella Johnson, which is the Illinois state lead organizer for the youth climate strike. Mm -hmm. And when was this strike put in place? You know, like, where did it start? Greta Thunberg, she's a Swedish uh, student, and she began striking on Fridays um, in her home, home country. And she started gaining traction because of her uh, particular speeches demanding adults to take action on climate strike on climate change and um, after a while uh, a lot of people started joining the movement and a couple of weeks ago she sailed from Sweden all the way to New York in order um, to be on the UN climate summit which was yesterday it was sorry it was a Monday the 21st and um, all these um, strikes going on in different countries where in order to apply pressure for the um, leaders from different countries that were going to attend the climate summit. Yes, so with the strike on Friday, what was the vibe of the strike? You know, were people upset? Were they angry? I mean, obviously it's a strike, but what, what did you feel from the strike? Um, it's really interesting. There's so many people devoted to these costs uh, from um, toddlers that look from kindergarten all the way to high schoolers and uh, like on the actual strike and even people watching were a lot of um, older people and um, I felt this adrenaline during the entire strike because everyone had um, they were just so much energy for this they were all um, chanting they're all singing they're all on the same boat for this um, strike so I think there, there is a lot of energy in general. Mm -hmm. So why was this strike important to you as you you did video work for this? So why was this important to you and what was the work that you did at the strike? So at the strike, we were three people attending from the Chronicle, two staff photographers, um, Camila Fonte and Steven Nunez. And uh, I did the video for the the newspaper and um, I I did 
some interviews before the, the strike began. And then I followed them along uh, the path they took. And at the end, when they reached Federal Plaza, um, Isabella Johnson, uh, the lead organizer for Youth Climate Strike in Illinois, gave a really par powerful speech that I used on the video. Mm, so who who else did you speak to at the pro uh, strike? Uh, I spoke to some um, of the young activists, like people that were from, um, how do I say this, sorry. Uh, I spoke to some people that skipped school in order to go to a strike. Um, and I also spoke to some people from the Field Museum, which they went as an entire group to a strike too. How many people do you think were there? Uh, it's a little hard to estimate, but I would say it was definitely more than a thousand people. Wow. Yeah. So why did you choose to do this story? Why was this important to you? Um, I think covering the climate crisis in general has been important for me. This began a couple of weeks ago when I reported for the Amazon rainforest fires. Um, I decided to do that because I am from Bolivia, South America, and the fires covered um, a lot of the area from the Chiquitania, which is the area affected from Bolivia. And so it has a lot of um, personal connection doing the, the this reporting. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit more? I mean, obviously this is this pertains to the climate climate crisis, but tell us a little bit about the Amazon story as well. Just like for people who haven't read us, read it, give us like a brief summary. Yeah. So on July, um, the president of Bolivia, Evo Morales, and the president of Brazil, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, they have been um, pushing further the deforestation of the Amazon rainforest. It's mainly due to uh, cattle raising. And on, between July and August, it set off a great amount of fires, which have been um, catastrophic for the ecosystem in general. An area of more than 16 times the size of Chicago was burned during those, all those weeks. And um, at first, there, there wasn't any media coverage at all. So I thought it was important to get people to know and educate them on what's causing this problem. Yeah, so with the climate strike, did you feel that you were, you know, as... Um, you know, South American uh, born, did you feel as though that this was, this was something that like hit home for you? Like you felt obligated, like, yes, like I want people to know about this. People should know about this. Like what, what went through your head when you were at the strike? I definitely had that feeling um, even more when I heard that they were also singing in Spanish, which was nice. It was not only in English. So they're trying to connect with different audiences because it is something that affects everyone in every single country in the world. Mm -hmm. So it was really nice that um, knowing that they're not only worrying for a small uh, number of people, but everyone in the community. Yeah. So where can people see the video work that you've done for the strike? The video is on our YouTube page for The Chronicle, and it's also on our website. Uh, we did a package. So Alexandra wrote an article and uh, you can see also the gallery from the photos Stephen and Camila took and the video is also there. So do you think that this will be the last time we have a strike or what do you think? No, actually uh, the strikes that were inspired by, by Greta Thunberg were uh, for the 20th, which was last Friday, and they're also planning some for this Friday, the 27th, but I'm not sure if they're going to do the same uh, in Chicago, but it's definitely going to happen worldwide. And um, another activist, um, 
So another activist, Juliana Guimaraes, she works at the Field Museum too, and she's an Amazon native. Uh, she mentioned that they're already organizing another strike for October 7th. So what do you think these strikes do? Obviously, they bring awareness, but, you know, what else could they do? Do you think that they're getting the proper attention that they need, or do you think they need more attention? What are your thoughts on it? I think they're definitely getting some traction compared to how strikes and the climate was covered in general, like a year ago, for example. And these specific strikes were aimed at the UN climate summit that happened on Monday uh, because they are the leaders of different countries were discussing the, the plans they're getting ahead for the Paris Agreement and uh, staying below the two degrees and even, if possible, the 1.5 degree target. Mm -hmm. So these were targeted specifically to have more pressure in those um, objectives. So my final question for you would be, why should we care about climate change? Obviously, it's a general question. It's, yeah. it's pretty straightforward. But why to you do you think that we should care about climate change? I think it's a tough question because everyone will be affected in a different way. But still everyone in the world will be affected. We're going to see droughts that it's already happening in different countries, which means that food security will become a bigger issue. We're already seeing uh, more fires happening in different different parts of the world, including the Arctic Circle, which should be very cold most of the year, even in Alaska. And uh, we're already starting to see the first climate refugee. So people are going to have to start fleeing their countries just because it's not safe anymore for them to be living on. For additional reporting on this story, you can go to ColumbiaChronicle.com or you can pick up our print edition available this week. That's all for this story, but do stay tuned for more. And now on to our next story with co-editor-in-chief Alexandra Yetter, who wrote, Professors Face Racism, Sexism, and Student Evaluations. Hey, Alexandra, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so normally we have a short report and, you know, the writer comes in and gives us a small interview, but I felt like this is a story that you could better explain. So can you give us a little bit of a rundown as to what the story was about? The core of the story is really student evaluations, and I'm sure many students listening right now know what those student evaluations are, but for those who don't, at the end of each semester, students will fill out forms either on paper or on Oasis, basically explaining how that professor did in the class. They'll give some critiques, they'll say some good things that they did, and that's pretty much it. And what researchers have found is that those student evaluations are incredibly biased against faculty members of color and female professors. So those student evaluations ultimately factor into many employment and tenure decisions at the college, specifically Columbia, but also across the nation. And many faculty members who I spoke to said that that bias really impacts them and it shouldn't be hitting them as hard as it does. Yeah, how did this story come about? How did this start? It actually started with finding that Columbia is facing a lawsuit from a former black professor in the cinema and television arts department who alleges that racist evaluations by students ultimately, ultimately factored into him being terminated from the college. 
And this professor has been facing this lawsuit for years now. It's still ongoing. But I wanted to really look at the broader scope of how many faculty members at Columbia are impacted by it. And I spoke to many who had very trying experiences with students and how many of them are very passionate about student evaluations not having as much weight as they do. Mm -hmm. So how does this affect faculty in general? So student evaluations are factored into two things. The first is tenure decisions. So full-time faculty who are on the tenure track, they experience these evaluations on a yearly basis. And those student evaluations are heavily factored into the teaching category to show whether they're adequate teachers. And if they have poor student evaluations, that can really factor into whether they're hired full-time or not as a tenured professor. So in the case of Von Monroe, who filed the lawsuit, during his check-in, he had those racist, um, allegedly racist student evaluations, which factored him into him not being tenured. And then secondly, for professors who are already tenured, they face um, issues with raises. So raises are given out on a, a merit-based system based on student evaluations largely. So students will fill out those evaluations that are biased already and then send them in. Those evaluations are used in raise decisions, which um, some of my sources say may be what is also causing um, a pay gap at the college because you're already using biased valuations to make biased raise and tenure decisions, which leads to biased results. Now, when are these evaluations filled out and when are the teachers able to actually read them? So students fill out evaluations at the end of the year and there's a couple problems with this from both standpoints. The first from a student standpoint is if you have a really bad professor throughout the entire year, you can't have it fixed until the end of the year for when you're already done with the class. So as one of my sources pointed out, students are paying thousands of dollars to take a class with a poor professor only to not be able to fix their learning climate until the end of the semester. Secondly, from a faculty's perspective, when they are looking at student evaluations and if there are student evaluations that can really help based on critiquing teaching style, such as providing more visual aids or helping auditory learners, they don't know those critiques until the end of the semester, so they cannot help students who need it throughout the semester. So what some people have proposed is ongoing critiques and evaluations based on a professor-colleague basis and then student evaluations throughout the semester so professors can actually get better. Now are these um, anonymous? Can you give it for those who don't know can you give us more context as to what these evaluations really are? Students evaluations are anonymous so faculty members at the end of the semester see what students have said, but they don't know who has said it. So what does faculty want from this? It's different based on who's been hit the hardest with student evaluations. Some faculty members I spoke to want student evaluations not to factor into tenure and raise decisions at all. They want it to be focused on um, peer evaluations from their fellow colleagues and um, other aspects such as scholarship and um, service categories. Other faculty members think student evaluations are important for um, professors who 
are not doing a very good job in the classroom and, and need to be critiqued strongly, in which case they say that student evaluation shouldn't have as much weight in those decisions, but sh- still should have some emphasis. Well, Alexandra, thank you so much for coming in today. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Again, for additional reporting on this story, you can check out the print edition of the Columbia Chronicle or head online to thecolumbiachronicle.com. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all of these stories and more in our print edition available on campus on our website, columbiachronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of our staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground under the leadership of the Communications Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride, Chair. Chronicle Headlines is produced and hosted by Blaze Mesa and Yasmin Shika. Show us what Columbia looks like! This is what Columbia looks like! Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines. <laughs>